You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on Wurundjeri and Bunurong country of the Kulin Nations and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Iris Lee. This week we hear about the Borderless Affirmations Trans Mutual Aid Group, building relationships of support amongst trans people navigating the violence of borders. Later in the program, we hear from a rally in solidarity with Palestine, where Israel has been attacking Al-Aqsa Mosque in the holy month of Ramadan. First two borderless affirmations, with Amity Mara being interviewed by Priya Kunjin on Workers' Memorial Day. And we're now joined by Amity Mara, who's a proud transgender Tamil woman from Sri Lanka and Malaysia. And she's a member of the Borderless Affirmation Mutual Aid Group, which supports trans migrants to build strong and loving lives on this continent as their true selves. And she's speaking with us today about the group's fundraising efforts. Amity, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. No worries. So I thought we might start off by discussing some of the general issues facing migrants, in particularly those with precarious visa statuses in Australia, and how the pandemic has exacerbated hardships for migrants who don't have significant economic resources to fall back on. And I was also wondering if there have been any shifts in Victorian and federal government supports for migrants as COVID restrictions have eased. Yeah, so that's a really important topic. So we actually started our mutual aid group kind of in the early months of COVID, way back in 2020, which feels about four decades ago at this point. And, you know, what we were seeing was how a bad situation was like very quickly unfolding and how migrants were really being left behind in terms of the supports that were being provided as we all kind of went into lockdown for the first time. And, you know, it's not only that migrants weren't given access to Commonwealth payments and, like, job seeker and stuff, but also, you know, we weren't eligible for JobKeeper, right? So we weren't an eligible employee. And so that meant that actually a lot of us also lost our jobs because our employers weren't getting those extra payments to kind of maintain us in employment. And obviously we also didn't have access to Medicare. And I can't, I'm not sure I can kind of describe to anyone who hasn't experienced it what it's like to go through a global pandemic without access to affordable healthcare for even the smaller sort of things. And, you know, there were lots of, like, really bad concerns around whether hospitals were reporting or at least sharing data with immigration in some states that meant people were, like, really reluctant to go in, particularly uh, people who are undocumented or no longer or kind of their visas have run out. And so people were really kind of pushed to the margins of society and kind of forced to and for ourselves and so this is where we kind of realized that this situation needed community support and kind of needed the community to step in and kind of help provide for each other but even you know the little bits of support that were given by state governments so for example the victorian government set up a extreme hardship program they kind of gave these sort of one-off or two-off payments and so they've all been rolled back now all of this has stopped and like they weren't great to begin with there was huge accessibility problems People often ask to provide kind of months of bank statements and documentation, which can be really hard, particularly for trans migrants. Like lots of them, as they begin living as their true selves, as they socially affirm their gender, lose touch with their families, potentially like lose touch with the people 
in charge of a lot of these bank accounts and have uh, kind of control over a lot of this documentation. And so they really struggled to access a lot of these payments even when they were there. And now they're not. And, you know, as restrictions are easing, many many trans migrants are in kind of frontline jobs, essential jobs, service jobs, where we're highly exposed and have no support when you're then out sick, right? And you kind of get COVID, you get long COVID, and you're just completely left to fend for yourselves from the government. Mm. Yeah, the fact that it's Workers' Memorial Day today and the impacts of the pandemic on, on people in the workplace. And I think it is so important to, to consider the impact on migrants and undocumented or, you know, precarious visa status migrants who really face these intersecting issues about labor precarity, about access to health care, where there are just little to no protections afforded to people. And, you know, as we've seen with the way that the government has kind of been treating migrants across the pandemic, there's very much a sort of uh, hardline utilitarian approach, um, which really, you know, fails to recognize the humanity of people that are struggling within these systems. Now, you mentioned that yourself and a group of trans migrants did come together to form the Borderless Affirmation Mutual Aid Group early in the pandemic, and this was formed to support trans migrants in Australia. Um, What are some of the specific issues facing your community that haven't been adequately addressed by some of the more established migrant support services, and why is it that trans migrants in particular fall through the cracks in the system? Yeah, big Big question. I, like, I, I think my first response would be that we don't fall, necessarily like fall through the cracks. Like, I think that's potentially a bit too passive. Like, in a yeah. sense, we're pushed into the cracks, right? Or like, the system is designed mm-hmm. to make sure we're in the cracks. And you know, I think the reality is like most established migrant support services aren't safe for trans people. And like, when we try to access them, we face a lot of discrimination or active violence. And many actively exclude trans people, particularly trans women, when you think about places like shelters, legal services, health clinics. Like, I remember when I was, you know, 19 and living up in Sydney, this is quite a a while back now, but, you know, I was leaving a domestic violence situation and I was sent away from three women's shelters. And, you know, I migrated to Australia. I've been here kind of less than 12 months. They didn't really have necessarily heaps of kind of connections or a support network. And I was homeless and kind of from a support services perspective, there was there wasn't a place for me to go. And, you know, that's a really common story for a lot of trans migrants. There just aren't these systems that actually allow for it. And there's also almost no services that actually deal with supporting people to affirm their gender, whether that's from little things like getting you access to gender-affirming clothing, teaching you how to use makeup, or to bigger things like supporting you through the kind of legal processes of affirming your gender while you're on a visa that kind of... um, and a system that sort of, you know, like tracks any changes and doesn't like the fact that people may be going by different names and that isn't something that they can track by like police reports or something. And so it's a really, for us, like when we were forming the group, we partly wanted to begin filling this gap, but we also wanted it to be more than that, right? Because we recognize that this was a systemic problem and you kind of can't fix this systemic problems by continuing to maintain, maintain the system that, was built to cause these problems. And this is, this is why for us, like, when we when we run the group, for us, really, like, mutual aid is not charity and it's not just service provision and it's not just giving people money. Like, yes, we have a crowdfunder at the moment for allies to support our work, 
but for us, that's really just the tip of the iceberg. Mutual aid for us is about building community systems to keep us sustained, to help us survive, and get us one step closer to, I guess, liberation from all these oppressive systems that are quite literally like designed to kill us. And, you know, so for us, this looks like we run like a clothes bank where people can come get freely gender-affirming clothes when they're beginning to socially affirm their gender and live as their true selves. We have a free groceries program for our members, which is filled almost entirely by food grown by our own members in gardens. And, you know, we have a kind of emergency housing program. So we always have spare rooms available and we have a fund that kind of helps pay for longer-term accommodation as well as healthcare and fill out prescriptions as well. And for me, this is like the real core it's about community mutual aid. It's really about building systems over the longer term that grow the strength of our community. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I really appreciate the point that you made there about being very clear about the fact that mutual aid is not charity, because I'm sure, uh, you know, a lot of people have seen a bit of slippage in that language. And it's really about developing these sustainable systems of mutual support and of affirmation of building communities and investing in, you know, investing in community networks rather than, you know, just donating. And donations are very important. And of course, we want to be able to direct people towards the the fundraising that you mentioned. But obviously, what you discussed covers so much more than, than just that. Women on the line. Now, I'm also wondering whether you wanted to comment on the targeting of transgender people as an election issue from the perspective of a trans migrant and whether there are any specific issues around the intersection of trans identity and precarious residency status that you think need greater public scrutiny and deserve more attention from, you know, our listeners, but the broader Australian public. Yeah, so I think this is really important. And I firstly want to acknowledge that this has been a really tough time for a lot of trans people across the trans community. You know, with us in our mutual aid group, we have really been focusing on kind of community care during during this time rather than necessarily kind of getting involved in the in the public debate around the election and these issues. And that's really like to me, the way this is playing out, like this is really political football more than anything else, right? And I personally I don't think we build the strength of our community by playing their game on their rules. Like, when I think of the main people involved in a lot of this targeting and perpetuating this, you know, people like the Liberal Party, the Labour Party, the AIDS, Sky News, like, these are all the people who control this really terrible system that kind of is trying to kill trans people on a daily basis. Like, they won't liberate us. That's not where we're going to get liberation from. And so we've, like I said, we've really been focused more on kind of caring for communities during this time. And like what I will say, though, like particularly from the perspective of trans migrants is these sort of anti-trans laws, which we've obviously also seen like really come to the fore around the world in places like the States and the UK recently. Like these anti-trans laws and kids, you know, like the kind of mooted sports bill that's at the center of a lot of these debates, like they often just codify and universalize what's already and has been for a long time the lived reality of brown and black trans people and poor trans people, which is that you're being kept out of the formal economy, out of public spaces, being underpaid, over-policed, facing discrimination and violence at much higher rates. You know, if we take sport as the kind of very specific example, it's already so inaccessible to most trans people and it already excludes 
most of us. And I'm not even talking about, you know, sport at the elite level where it's virtually impossible when you think about the amount of material resources that go into building a sports career that most trans people, particularly black, brown, and poor trans people, will never have access to. But even, you know, at a community level, the amount of material barriers is huge in terms of getting to training sessions, like traveling, equipment, gear. Mm. And then, again, most sports clubs aren't uh, safe environments. They don't really have safe cultures. So I just, I think there's, you know, for me, this is, it's one of the reasons, like, we really prefer to focus more on materialist trans projects that actually kind of focus on building the resources and focus on violence reduction and through that build collective strength of our community rather than necessarily spending all our time focused on sort of representation and inclusion issues around formalized equality because, you know, even when that equality is there, it's already and has been for a long time kind of a sham. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying we, sh- we don't care about the targeting of trans people in the election. We definitely do and we definitely all should. And, you know, if allies are listening, I definitely think, like, people should continue to care. What I'm saying is that you shouldn't only care about us when we're being made to be a political issue. Like, we need to care about the, improving the material aspects of trans people's lives. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, like, we're not political football. We are people. These issues aren't abstract. Like, you know, we live in a, a real world that has, like, inbuilt systems that exclude people. And, like, the, the formal law is often only one aspect of that. And so that's why I think, you know, particularly with the political landscape where that, like, supporting materialist trans projects, like, there's, like, there's a lot of mutual aid groups like ours and a lot of other groups that do really good work that improve trans lives on the kind of day-to-day level and help build that capacity and power of the community to kind of stand on its own. Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, everything that you said is is so important in terms of you know, not being trapped in that the the political narrative of using trans people as a political football and actually paying attention to the work that needs to be done on the ground. And I'm also guided by the work of organizations like Rise Refugee, which raised some really important concerns around the sort of trans people being used as a political football and the issue of, of the sports bill, uh, talking about the the lived realities and material realities of trans and also, you know, broader LGBTQ community refugees who face these intersecting harms of border policies, as well as, you know, gendered oppression. And um, it really does uh, speak to the significance of focusing to the concrete realities for trans people in the everyday rather than, you know, looking at particular sensationalized narratives uh, that allow people to kind of have, I guess, a more abstract engagement with trans issues, you know, saying I support trans rights, but without necessarily uh, providing material support or any tangible and consistent engagement with uh, the community building efforts that you're doing. So just looking towards wrapping up, Amity, where can people find out more about the Borderless Affirmation Fund and make a donation? Yeah, so we have a chuff page. If you kind of just Google Borderless Affirmation, it's one of the first things that comes up if you Google chuffed borderless affirmation. We are in the process of kind of setting up some social media accounts, but in the meantime, it's also pinned on my Twitter page. You can follow me at Amity Mara. 
And also, I just want to say that if you are a trans migrant who's listening and who's seeking support, we have a hotline that you can text into, and the number is 0456-385-145, and requests can be handled in a number of languages, including Arabic, Hindi, Tamil, Cantonese, Mandarin, Vietnamese, Malay, and English. We just ask that you be patient. It can take us a while to get back to new people, but we will definitely respond to you. Excellent. Well, Amity, thank you so much for taking the time and encourage people to go donate to that fund. So, Amity, thank you so much for joining us. Cheers. Bye. All right. And that was Amity Mara, who's a proud transgender Tamil woman from Sri Lanka and Malaysia. And she's a member of the Borderless Affirmation Mutual Aid Group, which supports trans migrants to build strong and loving lives on this continent as their true selves and spoke with us about the group's fundraising efforts. And you can find out more and donate at chuffed.org forward slash project uh, forward slash borderless dash affirmation. That was Amity Mara being interviewed by Priya Kunjan, which first aired on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Across these stolen lands now called Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line, highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices, broadcast on the Community Radio Network. Israel has been attacking Al-Aqsa Mosque in occupied Palestine again during Ramadan. We hear from a rally in solidarity with Palestine in Melbourne. Apologies in advance for the level of sound quality. We hear from Sarah Barini. She is a Palestinian activist, legal student, and a board member of the Islamic Council of Victoria and the Muslim Legal Network. The world talks about peace, but the situation in Palestine has remained unchanged for over 74 years. The world talks about peace, but does not bat an eyelid when they see Palestinian people forcibly removed from their homes. The world talks about peace, but idly watches by as Palestinians merely carry rocks to defend themselves, are being shot at with bullets, tear gas, and grenades. The world talks about peace, but has stood by and watched the Palestinian people have their hopes and rights stripped away from them. And we talk about peace. For peace to be achieved, we have to see an end to the discriminatory treatment towards the Palestinian people. For peace, we need to see the voices of Palestinian people heard. We need to see a global commitment to listen. We need to see international law upheld. We need to see an end to the war crimes committed against the Palestinian people. We need to see change. We need to see justice. Justice cannot be achieved without us. Justice cannot be achieved if we choose to remain silent. We must continue to shed light on the oppression of the Palestinian people and advocate for their human rights to be afforded. We must use our voices to fight against the crimes against humanity and ensure that they never occur again. Your social media posts are affecting change. Your commitment to attend rallies and protests is affecting change. Your activism is affecting change. We must continue to amplify the voices of the Palestinian people. We must put pressure on our government and elected representatives to stand up for what is right, both here and abroad. We must advocate for justice until it is achieved. We must not rest. Malcolm X once said, you can't separate peace from freedom because no one can be at peace unless he has his freedom. Let's continue to advocate for freedom of the Palestinian people and Palestine and in doing so advocate for peace.
Next, we hear from Kim Bullymore. Kim is a Maori woman from Queensland, an Aboriginal activist and researcher, and longtime socialist. She has lived and worked in Occupied West Bank and also organised the first BDS conference here in Australia. And what we're seeing in Al-Aqsa is no different to what we are seeing in Shakdara. It is no different to what we're seeing in Silwan. It is no different to what we're seeing in the Occupied West Bank. All of this is about moving Palestinians out, transfer their, transferring them the vernacular of Zionism, to ethnically cleanse them, to create more Zionist colonies, to take more Palestinian land with the least amount of Palestinians. That is what is going on in Al-Aqsa. And it is supported wholeheartedly by the Israeli government of all stripes. It doesn't matter what political stripe they are, they support the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. As mentioned, I've been fortunate enough to be there. My very first time in Palestine was in 2004. I was there during Ramadan as well. We went into East Jerusalem and we saw what the Israeli military were doing firsthand. It was horrendous to watch, to see the treatment of human beings simply trying to express their faith trying to go and worship at one of their most holiest places. I was actually there also when Yasser Arafat died. And I remember going up onto the roof of one of the hotels near Al-Aqsa. And this was during Ramadan as well. And on every second roof out along East Jerusalem, you could see an Israeli sniper. An Israeli sniper was on every second or third roof to control Palestinians to oppress them, to terrorize them. And that is what we are seeing again today. It is no different. It is continuing to escalate. And it is what will continue to escalate because the, uh, the international community, those people who claim to be our leaders, continue to turn a blind eye. I saw a video yesterday with Jamal Jama from the Stop the War Coalition. And he asked this question. Are people blind or are they just, and he's talking about the governments here, are they blind or are they just racist? The answer is they're racist. But what will stop this is our solidarity, our unity, our strength, our ability to show our humanity, to show that every person deserves to live. Next, we hear from Geordie Silverstein. Geordie is a historian of Australian Jewish history and member of the Loud Jews Collective. Like many of you, I've sat and I've watched the distance, the violence in Al-Aqsa, the bombings of Gaza, the continued everyday attack across the West Bank in 48. This isn't another round of violence. This is ongoing, brutal violence, the settler colonialism of apartheid. We need to use these words need to be clear in our analysis and our speech. This is settler colonialism. This is what the violence of destroying the place and the logic of elimination looks like. 
We need to be clear that this is unacceptable. There should be no limit to our anger and our rage. It is incumbent upon all of us to take action, support media, refuse nationalism, oppose the violence of the army, of the police, of the nation state, of every nation state. Share information. Talk to your friends and family. Show us. If you're Jewish like me, you need to work in our community to expose the violence of Zionism, expose the threat of violence. Make clear that this is not what Jewish liberation or safety looks like. This is not Jewish self-determination. We need to follow the lead of Palestinians always. Because countering the violence of Israel and Zionism, always Palestinians rise up through always beautiful, glorious resistance. People standing side by side, celebrating culture, refusing to give way, cleaning up after attacks, standing on their land, remaining Palestinian, connected and present across the world, everywhere that Palestinians live. Israel and Zionism try to keep people separate, to say that different people are able to live together, but we know that that's not true. We know that co-resistance is the way forward. With humility, we find the lead of Palestinians and we resist together. That was Jordi Silverstein. Next we hear from Rima Hassan. Rima is a filmmaker and an artist. They have been active in the Band Spit Hordes campaign and weekly BDS in South Australia for years. The resistance in Palestine has no business catering to Western liberal ideology. If the reality of Palestinian resistance makes people uncomfortable, that's their own problem. Israel as an entity needs to be destroyed for Palestinians to survive and thrive as a people. That was Rima Hassan. That was speakers at a Palestine Solidarity Rally in April in Melbourne. Follow the organisers Free Palestine Melbourne on social media, including for the May mobilisation around the Nakba, or Day of Catastrophe. is a national feminist current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded at www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. We'd love to hear your comments or thoughts about the program, so please send us an email at womenontheline at gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR on 03 9419 You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And make sure to subscribe to us on your favourite podcasting app. I'm Iris Lee, tune in to Women on the Line next week on your community radio station.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.